The scripture reading today is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men, sent to me from Caesarea, arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers who also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let's pray. Lord, in this time, I ask that you would be with us, be with each of us individually, be with us as a group, that you would speak to us through this ancient story in new ways, that we would be able to hear you, that we would be able to relate to the experience shared here and realize that our lives and our world isn't so different than that of your first followers. Please be with us in this time. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with those of you who made it into this room through Beta Breakers, those of us joining us online, those who uh, aren't here, those who might be at or in Beta Breakers. I had the joy of uh, walking through it in order to get here, which was interesting, to say the least. Um, but anyway, it's great to be with you and a privilege to get to share the sermon with you this morning. 
Um, I also just want to acknowledge at the top here today that we're coming in on another Sunday in which there's been yet another mass shooting in our country yesterday, this time in Buffalo, New York, and this time targeting black people specifically by a shooter espousing white supremacist ideology. So you may be coming in or you may be watching today with some anger, some fear, some frustration, some numbness to this. Um, And I just want to invite you to have all of that here with you today as we look at this passage in which we're going to be looking at an experience of Peter having a really profound transformational experience of realizing that people who he thought weren't his people are his people. And as we go through this, we can be hoping for, we can be praying for such a transformation in our own culture that we so desperately, desperately need in this time. But as I was preparing for today, um, I kind of remembered this funny and meaningful for me experience that I had probably 11 or 12 years ago. It was when I was living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That's where I'm from. And I was living in this little quadplex in a little neighborhood outside of, or in downtown Fort Lauderdale. And there was this period of time, probably a few weeks, maybe up to a month, where there was this little pack of stray dogs that was roaming the neighborhood. There were just three of them. And they were all over the place. And at first, I was kind of on guard, as one should be with stray dogs. But over time, I realized that they were really quite friendly. Um, They didn't seem to want anything. They literally would just be, you know, trotting around doing their thing, kind of. I would see them, you know, walking down the street when I'd go out to my car. I'd see them on the river walk when I was out for a run. I would see them at the coffee shop. They were just everywhere. They would just kind of show up. And over time, I sort of developed this narrative in my head that they were, you know, the characters in some sort of, like, Disney-esque live-action dog movie, like Homeward Bound or something like that, if you're, you know, old enough to remember that. Um, But I was picturing, like, you know, head cocked over, just dog face, and then, like, Michael J. Fox doing the voiceover for the character. Um, But I liked to kind of think that they had escaped from something, that they had been, you know, left behind, but then found each other, and they were now you know, living their best dog life. Um, But for me, that season was one actually of, you know, a lot of disorientation. It was one where multiple things in my family and elsewhere that I thought were one way were suddenly different. There were old secrets coming to light, relationships were fraying, and I was sort of in a season of feeling exhausted and unmoored because my perception of who I thought I was and the kind of family I thought I came from were being fundamentally altered. And on one particularly bad day, I felt like I went through the whole day just kind of in a state of numb disbelief. It was one of those days where you just feel stunned. I'm sure all of you have experienced days like that at some point. And that day, or close to it, late at night, I was sitting in the backyard of the quadplex where I lived, and I was, you know, thinking, I was kind of contemplating, I was trying to reorient myself. I was trying to, like, reorganize my thoughts in light of new information. And off in the distance, I heard, you know, these little approaching paw steps. You know, it was, like, as if it was the middle of, like, a bright, sunny day. I heard them coming closer and closer down the street and then started to hear that sort of breathy dog mouth sound. Um, <laughs> They came down the row of the apartments, 
and then literally entering the backyard were the three stray dogs that I you know, felt like I developed a relationship with in my head over the previous weeks. And they came into the backyard, and they literally ran in a circle around me and then left just as quickly as they came in. And in that moment, like, I was just sort of like jolted out of my head and out of my anxiety into this kind of state of like, you know, being much more present because I had just been surprised by these animals just randomly showing up and then leaving. And I kind of even thought to myself, like, you know, I just thought like, well, that, that was cool, <laughs> kind of. And the funny thing is like, for a moment, I actually felt better. It was comforting. And there's this idea in Jungian psychology, this term thrown around sometimes called synchronicity. And it's the idea that there are these moments in life where from our individual perspective, two unrelated events can come together at just the right time in just the right way for us to have a meaningful experience. And that's how the three dogs visiting me that day felt. I was having a really bad day, and them showing up on that night and in that way, and in such an unusual way and coming into the yard, which wasn't easy to get into, and running in a circle around me and then leaving, it just gave me this sense of, you know, God knows, God sees, I'm okay. And can I prove that God sent me the cool three stray dogs that day? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I'm not saying that. But I can definitively say that that was what the experience meant to me at that time, and it was comforting. And in our passage for today, we find the Apostle Peter trying to explain a far more profound experience that he had involving a vision of God telling him to eat forbidden animals at the same time as Peter is being sought out by Cornelius, by a Gentile believer. And in this chapter that we read for today, it's chapter 11, Peter is explaining to a group what has just happened in the chapter before, in chapter 10. And chapter 10 is the story of Peter and Cornelius. And chapter 10 describes Cornelius as a Roman centurion, a military general from Italy. He's described as devout. He's described as generous, as taking care of the poor in his community, and as one who prayed constantly to God. And the way I read the text, I kind of think Cornelius was looking for something. He was tuned in to the Jesus path somehow, and he was looking for a guide to take him deeper. And one night, chapter 10 says, an angel appeared to Cornelius telling him that God had heard his prayers and he is to send for Simon Peter. There's just one glaring problem here, though. Peter is Jewish, and the small Jesus movement at this time is essentially a sect within Judaism. Followers are expected to be Jewish or to become Jewish, which means that the men must be circumcised and everyone must follow certain dietary restrictions and laws, such as not eating certain foods, like the ones Peter saw in the vision that we just read about. For people like Peter, the dietary restrictions were a way of identifying himself. They were a way of knowing who he was, a way of knowing who his people were, who were safe people in a world that was and often is still unsafe for Jewish people. But perhaps most importantly for Peter, the rules were a way for Peter to know that he was right with God. And if you're someone like me who comes from a tradition that doesn't have dietary restrictions, it might be tempting to be like, why was he so worried about this? Why was he so worried about eating things? He should have just eaten it or something like that. But it might be worth checking our egos at the door for a second. So 
I want you to engage with me in a thought exercise. Think for a moment about something that you have to eat, something that you don't want to eat, but you know it's perfectly edible, you know it's nutritious, you know it's not going to harm you, you know there's probably people somewhere in the world that eat this, but you really don't want to have to eat it. You might be thinking about, you know, the show Fear Factor from the early 2000s, if anyone remembers that. Yeah, some of you do. I'm sorry for putting that image in your head. Um, but you might be thinking of that. I know I am. And that's how Peter would have felt about eating things like what were described in the reading. It's how he would have felt about eating things like reptiles. And I'll be honest with you all for a moment. I'm from Florida. Florida has a lot of reptiles. I've tried gator. It's not unusual there. It's not weird. But it is gross. <laughs> I find it disgusting. It tastes like if a chicken and a fish had a baby. Um, but it's not unusual. It's like you can easily find gator in restaurants in Florida. And I tried it once, and I never, ever will again. Um, but it's normal though. There's gators everywhere. There's millions of them. They're not in short supply. Um, it is, in some sense, a part of that culture, but I think it's gross. Um, but I digress. There's this huge problem that Cornelius is looking for a spiritual guide. God is saying that person is Peter, but Peter has been taught that God thinks it's forbidden for people, for Peter to associate with people like Cornelius. So something is going to have to give here. Peter's mind is going to have to change, but his mind isn't going to change by means of the ways that he already knows things, or the ways that he usually knows things. His mind is going to change via a direct and powerful spiritual experience, followed by meeting a new person, Cornelius. And you know, we have this idea in our, in our heads that we change via new information, that if we just know the facts, that will be different. I think the last six years have kind of proved that to be somewhat false, at least at a cultural level, but we still kind of tend to think that. We tend to think that if we just knew what happened in our past or in our family or in that job that went wrong or in that relationship that failed, that we would be able to identify the problem, that we'd be able to cast appropriate blame on others and on ourselves, and that we'd be able to move forward in new ways and make different kinds of decisions. But that's not really how we change. We tend to change not by new information, but by having a new experience. And that's how Peter changed. And so in this time, I would invite you to think about what are those things in your life that you're frustrated about? What do you want to change? What patterns and habits do you want to break? And what would it be like for you to ask God to give you a new experience that changes you? And what would it be like for you to cultivate more openness to that experience? Thinking about change, I know for myself, like, sometimes I just wish I was different. <laughs> like, do you ever have those moments where you're just like, I wish I was different. I wish I didn't get so upset about certain things. I wish I didn't get so anxious about certain things. I wish I could be like this person that Jack Cornfield describes saying, if you can sit quietly after difficult news, if in financial downturns you remain perfectly calm, if you can see your neighbors travel to fantastic places without a twinge of jealousy, if you can happily eat whatever is put on your plate, if you can fall asleep after a day of running around without a drink or a pill, 
if you can always find contentment just where you are. That's how I want to be. I want to be like this. If you can always find contentment just where you are, he goes on to say, you are probably a dog. <laughs> I love that, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I digress. I am not a dog. Unfortunately, I wish I was more like those dogs I met in Fort Lauderdale, to be honest. But, um, but I do want to change in certain ways. And our passage today is suggesting that this happens not by new information, but by having a new experience. So what I need and what you need is a new experience, and that's what Peter needed too. And as he's explaining here in chapter 11 the change that has happened, he doesn't go and say, actually, I've reread the scriptures in a different way, and now I think it's okay to eat anything and okay to associate with anyone. He also doesn't say, God came to me and said, you know, Peter, I've discovered a flaw in the divine algorithm, and actually the Gentiles can be included. None of that happens. He has a powerful and confusing experience that throws everything into question, including how he has come to know his own faith and his own identity. So he has a vision, he has an experience, and then he has an experience of a person. And these two things happening together change everything. Chapter 10 tells us that at about noon the day after Cornelius had had his vision saying that he was supposed to seek out Peter, it says Peter was on his journey approaching the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean you must not call profane. And this happened three times, and then the thing was suddenly taken up to the heaven. So Peter has this vision that shatters what he had been taught about God and what he had been taught about his own identity. He is literally being told to do the very thing that his whole life he has been taught would make him unclean and make him separate from God and separate from his people. And the thing is that I'm not sure, I don't think this is a flaw in the system. I think this might be part of how the spiritual life works. The Franciscan priest, and for me the savior, in a sense, of my own Christian faith, Father Richard Rohr, describes the first part of the spiritual journey, saying, Theologically and objectively speaking, we are created in union with God from the beginning. But it is hard for us to believe or experience this without a healthy ego and boundaries. Thus, the first part of the spiritual journey is about externals, formulas, superficial emotions, flags, badges, rituals, Bible quotes, and special clothing, all of which largely substitute for an authentic spiritual experience. And so the world that Peter had been taught that he was seeing through God's eyes, it may have helped Peter to feel secure. It may have helped him to feel like he knows who he was and he knew who his people were. And it certainly did teach him something, something about God, but it wasn't the whole story. And he didn't know this until he had his experience on the roof. And I think that's instructive for us because I think sometimes when God really shows up in our lives, it won't be by confirming what we already believe, but it'll be by what at least feels like smashing it to pieces. 
And that's what happened to Peter on this day, and he was stunned by it. The text says that Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision he had seen. He goes through a period of disorientation, and this is often how it is when life really meets us. What we thought was what suddenly just isn't, and we don't know anymore. We're confused. And that was me on that day in Florida, and it was Peter on this day, who he thought he was and how he thought he was supposed to be and what he thought God required him had just been required of him had just been turned upside down. He's puzzled and he's trying to understand what this means. And the text says that then suddenly the men sent from Cornelius appeared. So thinking back to that idea, that Jungian concept again, a synchronicity about how two unrelated events can align in such a way as to become profoundly meaningful, and I would say an experience of divine grace. What happens to Peter here is he has a powerful, direct experience of God, the the vision that challenges his most basic assumptions about who God is and who is included in the realm of God, but he is perplexed by it. He doesn't know what it means. Then something else happens. Cornelius's men appear, and Peter recognizes in his heart, oh, this is what it means. I've had this wrong all along. These people who I thought were not my people are my people. And so this is how Peter knows what to do in this perplexing situation. He doesn't know it through a book. He doesn't know it through the teaching that he grew up with. He doesn't, you know, no one else tells him what to do. He had a vision, and then he met a guy. Literally, that's what happened. And then he knew what it meant, and he knew what he had to do, and it changed the course of world history. It's fair to say that we would not be sitting in this room under this symbol of the cross if it was not for the vision that Peter had and then him meeting Cornelius. And in fact, a few chapters later in Acts 15, Acts 15 describes the Jerusalem Council, which is trying to decide about how to include, formally include Gentile believers in the church And they don't come out and say, you know, we figured it all out. We now know who is really in and who is really out. They literally, in Acts 15, 28, they say, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit to impose on you no further burdens than these essentials. They literally say, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. It's like they're saying, it seemed like a good idea. Um, And they, they changed everything so simply. And I don't think that they did this with this posture of intellectual humility because they weren't sure if they were right. I think they knew deep down in their bones, like Peter knew deep down in his bones, he knew that he was right. But they knew it in a way that was so deep and secure that they didn't have to intellectually defend it or drill it into people's minds because it wasn't simply an intellectual way of knowing They still pulled from the foundations of their faith, from the tradition. They reinterpreted the text according to what was happening, but it wasn't the primary means by which they understood what was happening. So I suspect that they were humble about it because their whole way of knowing had been turned upside down. And I think this can be instructive for those of us in the progressive church too, myself included. Um, Many of us, I know myself, you know, I come from what I would describe now as a somewhat fundamentalist background. And I think sometimes when we realize how we've been duped, 
and how much, for a lack of a better word, BS we used to believe in the past, we can become angry and point the finger back and actually say, you know, those people are the enemy. They are excluded. We're included. This is our church now. In reality, though, I think the invitation when you awaken out of the trance of fundamentalism and all the other isms attached to it, things like homophobia, patriarchy, white supremacy, imperialism, exploitative capitalism, bad things that we need to stand up against, things that even this weekend are causing death in our country. But I think there's an invitation for us to stand against them from a place of true inner freedom and knowing, not on the same insecure ground that we came from. I think in this passage we're invited into having a new vision, into creating a new and more joyful community. And I think Peter's experience and the decisions he and the other apostles made after was to, with deep understanding, to confidently transform the whole way that they had come to know their faith. And they did this based on their memory of their experience with Jesus, their present experience with God, and the people they were meeting along the way, like Cornelius. And in closing, I guess my question for myself is like, what if this is the path for us too? I'm really happy this week because I literally have just this week finished my master's in counseling psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. That's nice. <laughs> um, and uh, it was, for me, really an experience of being exposed to a lot of new ideas, people, types of people, friends, thinkers, that were not the types of people that I was usually exposed to in my life. It was an experience of allowing myself to be transformed by having a new experience with people. And it was really wonderful. And one bright light whose work I was introduced to there uh, was the black feminist author, activist, um, and professor, the late Bell Hooks, who said these words, dominator culture has tried to keep us all afraid, to make us choose safety instead of risk, sameness instead of diversity, Moving through that fear, finding out what connects us, reveling in our differences, this is the process that brings us closer, that gives us a world of shared values, of meaningful community. And I think these words could be a modern take on today's passage, and they're also very, very prescient for a day like today and a weekend like this weekend. And for Peter, he had to move through fear and disorientation that his vision caused him. And I think the invitation for us is to ask ourselves, too, what are we afraid of? What are we trying to avoid? What are we spending so much energy and frustration trying to hold together in ways that just don't seem to work anymore? What is broken, but we're pretending like it isn't? Or who or what do we need, but we're not even looking for them yet, like Cornelius? What practices do we need to cultivate so that, like Peter going up on the roof to pray, we can cultivate enough space and presence for us to have a different experience of God? And what would it be like for us to really stop trying to control and stop trying to hold on when we have that different kind of experience? I think the thing is that when God does catch you via a new experience, or when maybe you know just enough to know that God is still there when you feel like things are falling apart around you. It gives you a sense that you are ultimately safe and secure, not because you have believed the right things, 
But no, you know in your heart and in your body that you are ultimately safe and secure and that you are being looked after, that you are included no matter what happens, no matter what you do. You know it in your deepest self when this happens. And I think that's part of why experiences of really trusting God often feel like trusting yourself. You can't really tell the difference, and I think that's okay. And that was me on that day in Florida. It was a time of just having to kind of let go, being surprised by something, feeling comforted by the presence of those three little silly dogs. Um, It was a time where I came to the end of myself, at least temporarily, and I've had a lot of other days like that. A lot of them haven't, you know, gone so well, haven't had, you know, little meaningful encounters like that. But that day, I was given the grace of an, of an experience for a moment to let who I thought I was, to let it go, to fall into a deeper and truer self. And at least for a moment, I knew that I and that all of us are deeply held. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in this time as we go forward that you would meet each of us in the ways that we each need to be met. That we would be open to seeing your work in, your li- in our lives and in the world all around us. That we would be open to cultivating a sense of your presence and receiving it when it appears, when we can really see it. I pray that in this time, the rest of the service and this week, that you would be uniquely present to each of us. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.